everyone, and welcome to our interview with Kathleen Damp-Wright. Kathleen is the co-author, along with Lorraine Snelling, of the Save Squad series for middle grade readers and Waiting for Sparks, a Harlequin heartwarming series title. She also enjoys her online adjunct position teaching refresher business writing. Welcome, Kathleen. Hello, Kitty. Hello. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you for, for coming and doing an interview with the Right Now Workshop folks. Well, I am happy to be here. Awesome. Well, you know that one of the things I'm most interested in talking to you about is I've always been kind of amazed at the things that you do research for, whereas I tend to be like, I'm going to just write contemporary stuff so I don't have to look up anything. But <laughs> you write contemporary adult and children's books, and you have the most interesting research stories. So um, tell me a little bit about what you do, how you decide when you're going to research things and what you do. Well, first, um, even though we're writing fiction and we get to make up everything, if there's certain things we really can't make up because there's always going to be somebody somewhere who actually knows what kind of trees grow in Oregon <laughs> and it's going to ruin their entire reading experience to know that. And I was determined that was not going to happen, will not happen with any of my books. And that is what drives my research is that I want to be, um, I don't have to have a real, a real town or a real city, but if I'm saying they're in somewhere in Oregon that's near a major city, then I need to make sure that the flora and fauna is accurate. And if I'm going to say, for example, um, in, uh, let's see, the great cat caper, I wanted to make sure that when I talked about community cats, which is a new name for feral cats, which I didn't know until I did research. And I, the girls were going to be helping make the um, feral cat, community cat shelters. I wanted to be able to make sure I was describing them correctly so it was accurate. I was reading a book the other day where the characters were in a canoe, which was fine. And I was in the story until they started talking about the oars. Oh. And I got totally flipped out of the entire story and yelled at my Kindle. And went, <laughs> what are you talking about? Canoes do not have oars. <laughs> and that's what I don't want. That's why I didn't want. And um, that's why I do research. Yeah. All right. Now, give the, um, give the listeners a little bit of background on what the Save Squad is. The S-A-V-E stands for something. Now, this is Middle Readers. It's four books. And um, the thing that was so interesting to me was that each book dealt with a very specific particular topic that would be of particular interest to kids, but you did all this really interesting research, like what you were just talking about with feral cats, which are not now called feral cats anymore. Right. It's a four book series. It's an animal rescue series. And the Save Squad, it was one of those serendipitous, I don't know, to me, Holy Spirit things where I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just there with the girls, the girl characters sitting around this table, trying to come up with a name. And then all of a sudden, one of them came up with it. And I went, that's great. <laughs> and the Save Squad is the first letter of each of their first names. Right, it's, very cool. Um, Sunny, Aneta, V, and Esther. 
And um, each book deals with an animal who is in need of rescue. And it correlates with one of the girl's inner need or external need as well. And it's not, it's not heavy handed. It's enough to um, connect the readers to the whole idea and to deepen the story. But like in the first, play, first book, Dog Days, there is a dog that needs uh, to be rescued and needs a, a forever home. And Annetta is the gal, the girl who is the main character in the first book. And she has been recently adopted, but doesn't quite feel like she's home yet. Right. So she really, that's her drive to help this dog because she really connects to what the dog is going through. Aww. And then it's the same thing, similar things throughout the rest of the books as well. Second one is having your own spot, uh, the spot that's really yours. And the gal is V and she is, her father has just remarried and now she has two twin stepbrothers and she doesn't know what her spot is in the family anymore. And the community cats don't have their spots because nobody wants them living behind the dumpster in the library parking lot. <laughs> and then uh, Sunny is the third book, which is Secondhand Horses. And it's about a mini horse, miniature horse, that um, doesn't really fit anywhere. It's not, a, not big enough to ride. It's too big to, you know, put in your pocket. And, <laughs> and Sunny is, um, doesn't really know where, what she's all about because she's not as smart as the rest of the Save Squad. She uh, very often forgets what she's doing. She's extremely energetic. Um, and so she's not really sure what she's there for. And then the last girl, Esther, the No Ordinary Owl, are two baby owls who are shot out of a tree and the girls um, rescue them. And Esther has a secret. Should I tell the secret or was that mess up the book? Um, it's up to you. Hmm. I'm not going to tell the secret. <laughs> okay. Um, they, it ends up being the secret that Esther has makes her very connected to the plight of the birds. Aw. I'll leave it at that. All right. All right. So you've got four different kinds of animals, some domestic, some wild. Um, did you have some ideas in mind about, oh, I'll probably just research these two or three little things and then it like blew up or you thought this will be really hard. I don't want to do it. It's going to be so much work and it was actually fun or less work or... Well, the dogs were easy. The first one, Dog Days, was easy because I own dogs, have owned dogs, have always had dogs. And, and rescue dogs, right? Yeah, my dogs have always been rescue dogs. And Lorraine had Bassets. Um, and again, and always so, rescue Bassets, right? Yeah. And so she was able to uh, provide the, because I have always had Border Collies. And the personality difference between a Border Collie and a basset is so it's such a huge difference that I had to lean on her for the research. And I also was on a forum of insanely committed basset hound people to get the, um, I don't know, just kind of the whole idea 
I mean, Bassets even have a smell. Oh, wow. That the Basset people call the smell of Fritos. I'm not sure if I use that in the book, but I mean, Border Collie feet do not smell like Fritos. Yeah. So there was that. Um, the cats, I went, I knew I was going to have to um, do research on because I've never owned a cat. But fortunately, at the time, I had some students. I was teaching at a Christian homeschool co-op, and some of the students in my class were cat owners. Ah. So I went over to their house for a lesson in cats. <laughs> and they had a tuxedo cat, and they had a tabby cat. And the personality of a tuxedo cat is very different from that of a tabby cat. Really? Um, and then they also gave me a, yeah, the tuxedo cat looks like it's wearing a tuxedo. That's why they call it that. Right. So the personality really that goes with it is that of the aristocrat in the tux who deigns to allow you to touch them if they want you to touch them. Whereas a tabby cat is like, yeah, I'll lay on your lap. Oh, um, you know, I really kind of, thought cat personalities were individual by cat. I didn't realize they had something to do with like what breed. kind of cat it was. Yeah. Breed. Yeah. Breed as well. And then the kids also gave me a whisker, a lesson in whiskers <laughs> because where their whiskers and where their ears go means how the cat is reacting to things. And that was essential to how, I mean, really other than if I didn't know that I would have just said, really stupid stuff like the cat looked upset well you don't know if the cat's upset yeah. but um the idea of the the whiskers going forward backward the ears twitching the tail kind of flicking and whether the tail was fully flicking or just the tip was flicking meant different things and right um, yeah it was it was really interesting Right. I see what you mean now. Even though that seems like a normal, everyday, contemporary world sort of thing, if you hadn't looked it up, if somebody hadn't told you, you wouldn't have known that you were either writing it wrong or just not, not writing it as well as you could have. Right. And then the reader, you know, because I was, I was all about the reader. Then the reader begins to suspect, to suspect other things. Right. And the, the trust that you have to develop with your reader from the beginning is a fragile one. You're asking them to suspend their disbelief on other things. And once you have broken that, that, that trust, it can mess up the whole book for them. They just, they're just, I don't know. I just, to me, the trust of the reader is a very high calling. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That, that does um, make me feel like, yeah, research is important even in uh, contemporary worlds. Which yeah, I suppose, I, I have to admit, um, it, I always started out with the idea of not wanting to do research, therefore I would write contemporary, but I have found, and it probably has something to do with you. I know that you told me some stories, I think maybe one time you went to a petting zoo or to look at a miniature horse, and I just remember thinking, that sounded so fun that this last book that I decided to do the research before I even outlined it, it just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And so I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to interview the people at this pie company and the people at this craft beer company and I'll have a hero oh, and pies. And it was so fun. I got to yeah. eat things and drink things and it gave me all sorts of ideas for the story. So 
Did oh, you yeah. find it'll make your book better? Absolutely. Yeah, I was just going to ask you if you found that um, you had, and, and I know you and Lorraine co-wrote, so did you find that the two of you would come up with a new uh, plot point or idea? No. Um, when I went and did the research on each, each um, animal and each situation, it, I think it was, let's see, I don't think, well, yeah, it was going to be a regular horse in secondhand horses. And then when I started thinking, um, well, what's wilder than that? What's more unusual than that? Um, in terms of not really one thing or another, uh, it was a miniature horse. Yeah. And then I went to, then I asked who knows anybody who owns many horses. And I was able to go, on a freezing cold day <laughs> to this woman's um it was kind of like an urban it was tucked away off a busy road in suburbia and then you turn the corner a couple of times and then you're in front of her house and, and the whole back is like a ranch and wow. right there in the middle of the city and um she had uh 12 miniature horses. Wow. Yeah. And that, I've never owned a horse. I've always wanted a horse. That's why I put horses in as the third <laughs> book because I've always wanted a horse. I thought it would be fun, you know, to write about that. But just their personalities, she explained their different personalities and I got to see their different personalities and how um, she had, she had some of her, most of those horses were therapy horses. Right. And that's where, that's where the plot point, I was, I guess if you're thinking of that, that's where I realized that that would be the end for that horse. That nice. the, the purpose for that horse was going to be a reading, a reading horse because of what she, some of the stories she told me. And then I just embellished on those and made it happen in the book. And it was, I was sitting there with my little notebook, writing things. I was sitting on a rock in the middle of this path, this, what do you call it? A, it wasn't a corral because it wasn't organized. It was kind of like this big wandering fenced area. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there taking notes. And the next thing I know, one of the horses has just come up and snuffled in my ear. <laughs> and he was the height of me sitting. So <laughs> it wasn't like this huge thing. It was just all of a sudden this thing was, was snuffling in my ear and she said well he wants you to give him something and I said well I haven't got anything but um <laughs> yeah so they had personalities as well and that helped me she had told me many stories of going into senior centers and schools and hospitals and um you know those types of things so I was able I would never you know I could have done the research online yeah um and I, personally i think it would have taken me longer right. and it wouldn't have had the power that feeling them feeling the horses and listening watching this woman's eyes as she told me you know the internet's great for a lot of things but you know real life is still better yeah now, that's a, another good point that um, there may be listeners saying, well, that's cool that you know someone who 
knows this or knows that, but what am I going to do? So, but the fact is that particular one, by, by the time you got to the third book, this was new territory. You didn't know anybody. So how did you find this woman? Um, Facebook. I went on my Facebook really? page. Yeah. And I said, okay, does anybody know anybody who owns a miniature horse in our valley that I can go talk to? And it turned out that a woman I knew whose son I had taught in eighth grade um, did. And she ended up working, she was in the medical industry. And so we met at a parking lot to kind of, you know, talk face to face. And then we set up the time. And then I met her in the parking lot again to give her the book, a copy of her, her copy of the book when it was done. So that's how I did that one. The fourth one, No Ordinary Owl, was way out of my um, comfort zone because it's not like everybody has an owl in their backyard. Um, So I had to, what I did for that one was I went up to about an hour away. They had a uh, wild bird rehabilitation center. And I went up there and when I walked in that door, who did I see but a girl in the exact age group of the Save Squad oh. volunteering? Ah, oh. and she was preparing the feed, the food stuff, and we're talking frozen mice that she was cutting in half. Oh, and I, I went, okay, I would never have known that. Yeah, and so I was able to work things in. Also, when you're trying to rehabilitate. And a wild animal to go back to the wild, especially owls, you do not want to touch them. And that's where the robot thing came in for book four, oh. for them to do the feeding. So again, you know, going there in person, and then I went to our local aviary downtown and found where the owls were and just happened to run into a show they were doing where I get to, I got to hold a toucan on my hand. Wow. Very exciting. Yeah, they're <laughs> heavy and their feet are warm, uh-huh. which I would not, I don't expect birds' feet to be warm. I don't know why, but yeah, um, I don't. But I was able to talk to somebody at great length about owls and their role of owls and teaching owls and what teaching owls were like. Yeah, so there were things that added to my story that to me, just made it so much richer and more fun and made yeah. it, you know, just more fun. Now, um, again, we, we started with uh, book one was about a Basset Hound and your co-author and friend Lorraine Snelling um, owns Basset Hounds or, you know, one at a right. time. So, yep. so you had some work with that. She has in the past owned horses, but how did the two of you collaborate? I mean, at some point I should probably interview you guys about, uh, you know, doing um, co-writing, but that's a whole nother topic. But how did you collaborate the different kinds of research and the different things that each of you knew? Um, or was it not very hard? On the cats, I was on my own um, because she didn't know anything about cats. Now, since then, she has had a cat adopt her at her house. I can't remember what she calls it, porch cat or, or something. It's lap apparently cat? a feral cat. What is it? Lap, lap cat. cat. Lap cat, that's it. <laughs> yeah, but when we were writing the series, lap cat hadn't shown up yet. 
Yeah. But Lab Cat would be a great character. Um, and then for horses, that, uh, um, as far as the, like the nose, the different kinds of noses that horses have, depending on the breed they are, um, the, the sounds that a horse makes, those kinds of things Lorraine was able to help me out with because she had horses when she was growing up. Yeah. And so that was helpful. As far as the owls, she had gone, um, it was going to be a different bird, but then it ended up, she had gone to a, a wild bird refuge somewhere in her travels around the country. And she told me a couple of things, and that's when I think I switched it to owls from what it had been before. And there was a reason then, but I can't remember now why that was. Yeah. So anyway, right. that's kind of how that went. Now, those are your kid books. Then um, for Waiting for Sparks, I love this book and I love the character Sparks, but in a million years, I would have no idea how to write anything about a guy whose job is to travel around the country and set fireworks off in little towns. So what did you do to, to figure that all out? Well, that was, again, a friend, who, oh, a friend who had had a neighbor who owned a fireworks company. Oh. And so um, from her, I learned enough. A lot of times research is vocabulary. If you know the vocabulary, you can start digging around. And so um, I was able to do my research online for that because I knew where to start from what she had told me about this guy. Okay. And I didn't end up ever talking to this guy. And I knew that there, that the process of how they made them and the, what I learned was the precautions that were necessary, that there were schematics involved. And that book, I probably did, there's not a lot about him doing his job because it wasn't pertinent to the major things going on in oh, the story. Okay. They, were more, they were more touches to bring things around and to set up a problem than they were him spending a lot of time doing what he did. Right. Because in reality, in that book, he was on vacation, except for oh. doing one show, the July Jamboree. Right. So would you say that there is, have you found yet any real difference um, in doing research for children's books or for adult books? And when I say adult, adult books, listeners, Totally not talking about that kind of adult book, just books for people. Oh, adult books always sound so smarmy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. The first time, I, first time I went in the library and I saw a category for, in the library, it was called graphic novels. And I went, what? Oh, right. And that's when I realized that I had to update myself. That They were comic books, but nobody calls them comic books anymore. Yeah. They were graphic books. And I was thinking, they actually, I said, I was working there as a temp. I said to the librarian, they spelled like that. She started laughing, and that's what I realized what graphic novels were. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I don't think there is any difference, personally. Okay. See, the reason Waiting for was where I go camping. In fact, that's how the book came to be, was the place first. Ah. Not the characters. And that came from my having gone up there 
My son is 34 and he was eight when we started going up there. Oh, wow. So we have been doing family trips up there for a very long time. I also grew up in a tourist area in the Adirondack Mountains. So the, the place in Waiting for Sparks is a, is a mishmash of those two places because I wanted it to be a certain one. So I took what part from what to add to the other and made it so I could do what I wanted. Right. Like the, the park for the, um, the park for the jamboree in the book is in the Adirondacks because that's where I went to swimming lessons and I was a newspaper intern there and, and interviewed people and was there for all the festivals and things. But the actual location is where I live now, which is in Utah. Okay. All right. Now, um, one of the things that you're known for in your circle of writer friends is being the what if girl. So tell us, does that influence the way that you do research? And tell us a little bit, what, what are your friends talking about when they say Kathleen's the what if girl? <laughs> okay. That a bunch of years ago, I don't even remember who started calling me that because I was operating as a fiction coach at the time and they started calling me that because when I worked with them I would say instead of saying you should you could I would say what if you what if you or what if the character or what if that because I found that if you do what if the person's mind is more open than if you say you should or you could right it's pretty much my favorite phrase that and so what those are my two favorite phrases. So what <laughs> and what if, and my two favorite words are why and how. I tell my students that now, um, you know, that, that those are critical thinking questions. Those are um, critical thinking, deeper critical right. thinking words. And that's, uh, that's how I come up with the plots. I say, what if? And then the other thing about research comes off the Waiting for Sparks was the only book so far that started with a place first. The other ones ah. have always started out with characters and um, then a place. Okay. Well, so what are um, some of your current projects or your, your one current project or, or whatever? And um, how did it come about? What kinds of research are you having to do for this? This one is... A, I'm looking at it as a mag, um, magic realism. Is it realism? Magical realism? Yeah, magical, magical realism. realism. I think that's the genre um, where it's normal, ta- it's normal day and there are, are magical elements that intrude upon the normal, the normal sphere. And it was because I live in Utah, which is the second most arid state in the country, Arizona being first. Oh. And I found out from a student, a former student, that she was getting certified as a scuba diver and she was going out into the desert to certify. And I, I mean, (laughs) who said, who certifies for scuba diving in the desert? So then I, she said, (laughs) told me the name of this place. And I looked it up and darn if there isn't a freshwater place in the middle of the desert, there's not a tree taller than your ankle anywhere. And it's a freshwater 
and not like, a building, an actual body of water. Yeah, it's actually holes in the ground it, it's that are water. Oh my! What's up? Okay, I thought you meant it was a building. You know that someone no, built there a is building a building with a tank. Oh no, no, no! This is natural. This is a natural <laughs> phenomena. And I thought, oh, wow. that would be so weird. And then I thought, man, wouldn't it be weird if there was a mermaid in these pools? And <laughs> then it kind of, and I thought, oh, the misplaced mermaid. Oh, yeah, that would be a misplaced mermaid. <laughs> because, I mean, really, why would a mermaid end up in the Utah desert? That's just too weird. So it flew yeah. across. That's how that one came to be. And then since okay, once now, I got the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, so... <laughs> How exactly have you been doing research on mermaids? <laughs> yeah, that, um, well, first I did it on the place. I went out there with a friend and we snorkeled around oh, wow. to get me to get the ideas of, and of course I made this, this place is, it's a bit worn around the corners. Only the place, my place is not. My place is expanded and, and all sorts of other stuff because it took off in my mind what <laughs> it would look like. But the idea of going into dark places like i at one point i snorkeled under the walkway and i had to for a few seconds the snorkel was i was going to have to hold my breath because the top of my snorkel was going to go underwater and i had a definite panic going under there because it was a very short thing i was going under but it seemed like forever, but I made myself do it because I figured they wouldn't have it there if you couldn't do it because it's not like they want to pull people out of the pool dead, <laughs> you know, for all that. But the mermaid thing has been, um, well, I went to a festival where it was a, oh my. I can't remember what kind, but they had, it was one of those things where they had, um, they had knights jousting and they had people <laughs> walking around dressed like King Henry VIII and um, kind of like had a this mermaid. Like, yeah, but not a complete one because there were some other things there, but pretty close to that, I would say. Okay. And there, there was this girl there as a mermaid. I mean, she looked <laughs> like a mermaid. They had a big shell that she was in. And she was laying there, and her tail looked absolutely real, wow. absolutely real. And so <laughs> I picked up her card to talk to her. And then once I knew that you could buy the tails, then I started doing research online. And I really want one very badly. <laughs> um, the mermaid in this book is not an Ariel knockoff. Okay, she is not. She's not. She isn't that way. Yeah. Um, because that would be what everybody would expect. Yeah. So that's how I'm doing it. Um, I'm also, I'm looking at all sorts of things in terms of movies, videos, YouTubes, and mythology, and picking up all the little bits that sound interesting yeah. and pulling them all into what I want to do into a composite. Nice. Wow, that's awesome. I like that kind of research, kind of, you know, creating your own world building out of things that are believable. I mean, yeah. based on what we already think that we believe about this mythological creature. Right. And then realizing that there's enough historical precedent that you really 
could pretty much make your mermaid anything you want. And there's some history somewhere that supports it. Wow. But the other thing that's bigger than the mermaid actually is the weather for this book. And that's going to be the biggest challenge is um, I had a contact uh, again, another one of my former students who knows a guy who's a meteorologist that travels with the national weather service and stuff. And um, he was too busy to meet with me um, because he's chasing weather all the time, but (laughs) he gave me some sites to get started with. And that's going to be the biggest challenge because again, it has to be, wild weather but it has to be believable and um however though there's always weather anomalies always okay you know stuff that happens that nobody expects to happen in the middle of a state that never had that happen i mean we had a tornado in downtown salt lake once Um, really about 10 or 15 years ago yeah there's there was it's not we are not in tornado alley yeah but we had one. So <laughs> that research, yeah, I may end up going down to one of the TV stations or something. If I, if I feel like I need um, specifics, and I hope I don't because I really don't want to make it a science fiction. It's not right. a science fiction. Um, so I'm hoping I, I can kind of just have some fun with it. I've been collecting weather pictures. Nice. Um, weird weather pictures and some of them are just so cool. Wow. All right. Well, this is way interesting. I knew some of this stuff and some of it's new, so it's even fun for me. Now, um, for listeners, let's say, you know, somebody's new or somebody's got, you know, 10 books, but now they're going to go into a, a new direction. Do you have any advice for doing research without getting, you know, scared at the potential volume of it? I, I know that particularly um, people who are doing like historical fiction as the, the first time into it, there's just so much information and, um, and people are always afraid of doing kind of a data dump. So what are, what are some pieces of advice you might be able to offer? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the square bracket um, where you, you write the story with, maybe start out with a basic amount of knowledge about the um, setting and your era or the characters or whatever. And then the rest, I would think, well, see, I don't write historicals for that very reason. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's way too much. Because I would get lost in the research because I love to read. But see, so Um, you were saying you need to be careful not to put in too much weather information. So, like, how will you... Are you saying that um, that you'll just learn enough to have a basic understanding? And then you said something about brackets. Yeah, I like square brackets because I use square brackets for the fill and later stuff. So if I'm moving the story along and I need some weather stuff to happen, and at the moment I don't know what it is, I'll put a square bracket and say, needs to be weather that blows sand in her face. Or, and then I do an end square bracket. And then I keep moving on. Or the temperature has to drop significantly here. But I don't go into it then. Because I would never get further. Right. That's the kind of thing that I think can always be in the second and third draft. 
as the book comes together. That makes sense. Yeah. People get tangled up in things. They never end up getting to the end of the book sometimes. No, those square brackets can really, and again, I don't write backwards. I only move forwards when Mm -hmm. I write. I don't ever go back and fix stuff when I'm drafting. That's the other thing I think that saves you with research. Okay. I don't ever go back and, and put, put little bits in. I just use those square brackets and I just keep going. And then that, I can search, I can search for a left square bracket just as, as a search. And then I can just start poking through them. You know, some people do colors, you know, maybe I might end up doing that, you know, as well, but square brackets have served me well. All right. That actually does sound like great advice. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I wish we could keep on talking. We've actually sure. run out of time. I mean, this is always, I, so far, every interview that I've done with somebody, I've always been like, well, that was way more interesting than I thought it would be. And I thought it would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's just because I oh, love Oh, that's writing. good. I'm glad. <laughs> well, listen. Yeah. Um, and it's always fun to hear people's stories. Yes, it's true. I mean, because we're storytellers, so we're people who like to listen to stories, too. So I, I have mm-hmm. to say, I, it's right. going to be a while before I can get the idea of a uh, scuba diving um, class in the middle of the desert out of my head. <laughs> yeah, it was. it's weird. Yeah. So uh, if people want to find you online and uh, just... Uh, Hey, hang out with you, keep track of you or whatever, where's a good place for them to find you? I'd say probably Twitter is a good one. Um, and then every now and then when I come up with a really nice picture, I'm on Instagram. Okay. But Twitter would be the, the best place. And that is at Kathy underscore damp. Okay, great. Instagram is at Kathy damp. D-A-M-P, like the weather, all smushed together. Awesome. No underscore or anything like that. No. All right. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I, I checked on Amazon today, and I'm still seeing that um, some of the Save Squad books are available for purchase. The last one, for sure. The others, some of them are only available as uh, used copies. But it looks like Waiting for Sparks is still available as an ebook on Amazon. And so I'm assuming probably the other major online retailers also would be a, a place to check for those. Yes. Excellent. Yes, indeed. Awesome. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. This has been really fun. Well, it's been a, a kind of an honor. It actually has been an honor to get to be here. Ah, yay. Well, thanks for being such a great help. You've always been a, a great teacher. Um, I've learned things from you in, in the past, especially when we first knew each other. We were just strangers, and, and I was like, oh, wow, she, she knows. That's cool. right. <laughs> <laughs> so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, Kitty. We'll talk All to right. you again. Okay, thanks. <laughs>